What's up, Repraceure family? We are back with another Bible study message for you and continuing in our Holy, Holy series. We're hearing from Jorian Wilson, who delivers a wonderful message, and we hope and pray that this message resonates with you and empowers you. Have a blowout here. Uh, Ron, we praying for you. We know you don't want you to have no surgery, so definitely praying for complete healing and looking forward to hearing your testimony. And then Kai, keep doing your thing. I have no idea what a board is, but sounds important and sounds like you're doing well. So keep up the good work. Um, and good morning to the rest of everyone who's here. My name is Jorian Wilson, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors for We Pray Share. And I'm always excited when I get a chance to uh, share with the community. So as Kai was saying, this year we're focused on the theme, holy, holy, being holistically holy in every area of our lives. So mentally, physically, spiritually, mostly how we think, how we act, everything about our lives, we want to be aspiring to be holy. Up to this point, we've discussed our innocence, we've discussed holiness, and we've also discussed the enemy of our holiness, which is Satan, who is our great enemy. But also Kaya did a message a few weeks back talking about our internal enemy, which is ourselves. Um, and what she was talking about is that sometimes our holiness and our in innocence is sacrificed because of poor decisions we make or actions that we've taken. However, we also understand and recognize that many of us have either lost our innocence or been stripped of it due to poor choices of other people. Last week, we got a message from Sean that in spite of all of this, in spite of losing our holiness, losing our innocence, however it came about, there is hope. Um, whether you consider yourself to be one of God's elite angels or whether you feel like you are too far gone, that there's no hope for you to experience holiness or innocence again, today I'm here to share that there is a hope and our great hope for restoring our holiness and innocence is found in Jesus the Christ. That's it. That's today's message. The doors of the church are open. Thank you all for being here and being a part of Repray Share Ministries. Kidding, not kidding. That is the entire message, but everything else beyond this point is just supplemental material. So if you leave with nothing else, know that Jesus wants to restore your holiness. However, I'm sure you came for a bit more than some testimonies in my brief introduction. And so as my pastor would say, I gave you a skeleton. Now let's put some meat on it. So if you give me the next 20 minutes, we're going to discuss what this supplemental material is about how and why Jesus wants to restore our holiness. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. I'll give you a moment to turn if you want to find it on your phone or in your actual Bible, and then we will read the verse. <clears throat> So in this verse, we find Jesus and one of his disciples by the name of Peter having what seems to be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. However, I realized that this is Luke writing, and so he likely overheard. And so it seems to be a one-on-one -on -one conversation between Peter and Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, 
for your grace on our lives, God. We thank you, God, that you are for us, that you are not against us, Lord. We thank you that you give us an opportunity to come together to fellowship, that we don't have to hide, that we don't have to be afraid of being persecuted, but we can come here freely, God. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to whatever it is that you want to do in and through us on today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Forgive me, I'm recovering from a cold. April 15, 2019, just before the hour of 11.20 a.m. Central Standard Time, a structural fire broke out in the roof space of Notre Dame de Paris, a medieval Catholic cathedral in Paris, France. You all may remember this, seeing it on social media, but people around the world watched in shock as this historic monument was ablaze. People could not believe that such a popular tourist spot something that had been standing for hundreds of years was now up in flames. <clears throat> it's said often that fire is the great equalizer. So no matter how old you are, no matter how smart you think you may be, no matter how much education you have, no matter how tough you are, all that goes out the window when a fire is present. <clears throat> In our focal scripture today, similar to this cathedral, we see that the disciples are on their way to coming under fire. <clears throat> the Last Supper has passed, and they're on a short time just away from Jesus being betrayed, arrested, and sentenced to death. As the faithful hour approaches, Peter finds himself having this conversation with Jesus. Let's look at what transpired. We're going to read that scripture again, but a little bit more as well. <clears throat> Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter says, Peter responds, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, <coughs> you will deny three times that you even know me. So the word sift, as we break down this text, means to separate. Most of you, if you grew up with mama or grandma, or if you consider yourself to be a cook, you know, I could cook a little something myself. You know, I make a mean beans and weenie casserole, but no one ever wants to try it. I don't know why. But if you consider yourself a cook or you've been around grandma or mama, you've probably seen a sifter. They usually use this to separate large chunks out of flour or cornmeal or other ingredients through this sifter. What Jesus is trying to convey to Peter <coughs> is that Satan desires to separate him from God to separate him from his faith, Satan's desire has been consistent since the beginning of time. Look back in the Garden of Eden. When Satan is speaking to Eve, causing her to question the instructions God gave Adam, Satan is desiring to cause separation between Adam, Eve, and God. We often think about 
what Satan is trying to do between the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, but also he's trying to create separation between Adam and Eve individually. If you look at the text prior to them sinning, we see that they're walking around together naked. And the scripture says they were unashamed. <laughs> but as soon as they sin, we see that they are ashamed. They go into hiding and then they sow fig leaves to hide their nakedness from one another. Satan's desire is no different for you and I than it was for Adam and for Eve. <laughs> he desires for us to be separated from the father and separated relationally from one another. As we continue in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, I love the way Jesus responds to Peter after saying all of these things to him. Jesus says, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you repent, when you have repented and turned to me again, <coughs> strengthen your brothers. Jesus' words here in this conversation imply that Peter is going to fail. He's going to fall short. And if we follow this story, which you may have already known it, we know that just as Jesus predicted, Peter falls short. <coughs> Peter goes from being like Master P and No Limit Records being bowdy about it to denying that he even knows Jesus three times when coming under fire. Peter told Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. And Jesus is like, bruh, you're not even going to be able to keep that same energy for the next 24 hours. Before the rooster crows, and you know roosters crow early in the morning, you will deny three times you even know me. Not one time, but three. We look at Peter and be like, I could never, I would never deny Jesus. You may not say it out of your mouth, literally, but what do your actions say as you live your day-to-day -day life? You may not deny Jesus with your words, but what are your actions conveying to those who are around you? Kaya spoke about people are always watching. What are your actions conveying to those around you? And if you're by yourself, what are your actions conveying to your heart, conveying to your flesh, conveying to your spirit? Let me break it down. We know God's word. We know his instruction. But there are times we blatantly choose to disobey and give in to our own preferences. If that's not clear enough, let me give you a few examples from my life because I don't want to talk about you. The word tells us, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. But if we look at your phone and we check your screen time from the past week, you've been averaging five hours a day, but you've only been in your word five minutes, if that maybe. The scripture says, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. <clears throat> but you won't even sit down and rest for half a day to enjoy a gift that God gave you. The scripture says, thou shalt not lie. <clears throat> but when it's convenient to fudge the truth, because it won't hurt anybody, what do we do? Scripture tells us our body is a temple of the Lord, but you won't exercise. You won't even walk. You put any and everything in your body. You use your body however you want. 
So yes, we may not say out of our mouth that we are denying Jesus, but what do our actions speak about what we truly believe? Do we know him through our actions? <clears throat> All right, let's leave each other alone and go back to Peter. We know Peter denies Jesus three times. Scripture says that when Peter realized what he had done, Jesus' words flashed in his mind. And he left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I can only imagine the hurt, the pain, and disappointment Peter felt in that moment. However, following Jesus, following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we see Jesus appears to the disciples, and Peter's relationship with Jesus is restored. Jesus and Peter's relationship is restored following Jesus' resurrection. <clears throat> it made me consider, why didn't Jesus restore Peter when they made eye contact after his betrayal? It happened after he had died. Why didn't he just restore him on the spot right then and there? They already know what happened. They both recognize the betrayal. They both recognize what is taking place. But it occurred to me that Jesus was in the process of addressing his betrayal. Jesus was in the process of restoring Peter to relationship already with him. But not only relationship between he and Peter, but Jesus was in the process of restoring relationship of humanity with God the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 tells us that, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So this scripture reveals to us that as Jesus was on his way to die, he's in the process of reconciling not only Peter, but each of us to Christ. It is through Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection, that we can be restored in our holiness and restored within our innocence. This message that I'm sharing today is one of restoration, to let you know that God wants to restore you. He wants to restore your holiness. He wants to restore your innocence. <coughs> If we visit, if we revisit what we talked about initially, the fire at Notre Dame, this cathedral, we discussed it was burning back in 2019, but further research revealed that they have been working and doing a process of restoring the cathedral. The more I considered this, though, that they're restoring it, <coughs> I thought about the building was built in 1163. That's almost a thousand years ago. And I was perplexed because although they restore it, it won't be the same. It couldn't be. It's different time, different place, right? <clears throat> I'm sure they're going to do their best to make it as close as possible. But hundreds of years have passed since it was first constructed. Building codes have changed. Materials for building structures are not the same. 
So even in their best efforts, the building won't be the same as what it was before. <clears throat> if you know anything about real estate, when you go to historic places, real estate is valued because of one, when it was constructed, how long it's been standing, its popularity, of course, but also um, the way it's designed, the way it's built in those times is different than what we do now. Now we just throw houses up in a couple of weeks. Then they took their time. They had artists come in and cultivate every aspect of these temples, of these cathedrals. So if you think about them restoring this cathedral, in the real estate world, this may diminish its value as well as the admiration that people have for it. But when it comes to us, when it comes to followers of Jesus, when he restores us, he says, yes, I love the old you. But now that you have come home, now that you have returned, now like Peter, that you have repented, I don't want you to be restored to that old version. But I'm restoring you to be a better version of you because the word tells us that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Hallelujah. Jesus wants to restore you, my brothers. Jesus wants to restore you, my sister. He is in the restoration business. And if Peter's story isn't enough, may I call a few other witnesses? If you look and ask Jacob, Jacob stole his brother's birthright. God not only restored the relationship between Jacob and his brother, but God gave Jacob a new name, Israel, as well as a new beginning. If you look at the life of Moses, Moses murdered a man and was labeled a murderer, went off and ran into the desert, but God restored him and allowed him to lead God's people out of Egypt. <clears throat> we all know Paul. Paul started out as Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians. However, after an encounter with Jesus, he repents and God restores him, gives him a new name as Paul. And he becomes one of the greatest contributors to the gospel. The Bible has some great examples, but if you take inventory over your own life, if you call yourself a follower of God and you take inventory of where God has brought you from, where you, how you used to live, God has restored some things about you. He has restored you into relationship with him. But if I can give you a little bit of a secret, God doesn't want to just restore you in your holiness. He doesn't just want to restore you in your innocence. God wants to restore everything about you that you think might be broken or that is broken. He wants to restore your heart. He wants to restore your health. He wants to restore your mind. <clears throat> he wants to restore your relationships. <clears throat> you might have family members. I know I do or loved ones, friends, whatever it may be, who have been sick. They didn't seem like they were going to make it, but God restored their health. I have an aunt who had a major heart attack. We didn't know if she was going to make it to see another day through the night. Yet God has restored her, and she has lived many years beyond that point in a happy, healthy life as well. My father back in 2014 had a major stroke. He was paralyzed, couldn't speak, couldn't walk, lost all of his functionality. That same man who was in that sick bed got his healing. He was able to walk. He's able to speak. And not only that, 
he went on to pastor his church for several years after his stroke. God is in the restoring business. Will you allow him to restore you? As I get ready to close, I want to give you all a couple of things about restoration. So the word restore means to return something or someone to the former condition, place, or position. The word restore means to return to the formal condition, place, or position. God wants to restore us, you and I, to our former condition, place, and position. God wants to restore us to our former condition. What was our former condition? Let's go back and look in Genesis chapter 2. It says, Genesis chapter 2, verses 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. God wants us to return to our nakedness, not literally. If you go outside naked, you're probably going to jail. Don't blame me, pray, share. We don't have no bond money for you. <clears throat> but God wants to restore us in our nakedness in terms of us being vulnerable, being open, being transparent, not only with him, but those that we consider to be our confidants. Nakedness represents being bare, having to hide nothing. We don't have to hide anything before God. God already knows our current state. He knows our thoughts, even afar off. But God wants us to trust him with those things in our lives. He doesn't want us to be ashamed for where we come from. He loves you no matter what you've done in the past. If Paul was a murderer and God loved him, I don't think any of us has murdered anybody. Surely God loves you despite where you come from. Plus the word of God tells us that there's no sin that's greater than the other. The word tells us that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. God wants to restore our previous condition of being naked, being vulnerable with him. <clears throat> God wants to restore us to our former place. Our former place is within close proximity with God in his presence. We see this in Genesis as well. <clears throat> we see this after that man and woman sin. It says, after they sin, when the cool unique breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from him. The Lord so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. <clears throat> then the Lord God called to the men, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? So I read this passage because it shows us that Adam and Eve were in close proximity with God. They were literally able to hear him walking in the garden. Not only that, they have a conversation with God. We have conversation with God through prayer, but God doesn't always speak verbally back to us. They are having a conversation, I imagine, face-to-face -face with God in this moment. Further evidence that God wants to restore us to our formal place is found in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven, the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them 
and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. So this scripture shows us that God is restoring us now. He wants to be in close relationship with us even now. But when he creates the new heaven, when he establishes the new earth, he is going to live among his people as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. <clears throat> Last but not least, God wants to restore us to our former position. God wants to restore us to be image bearers of him, not only in our physical features, but indeed as well. Genesis chapter two, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. God, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This scripture shows us that God, when he created man, not only did he create us in his image, but he said he's created us to be like him. And we're like him in the fact that he gives man and woman dominion over everything that is on the earth besides human beings. He gives dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the air, over the livestock. God is partnering with mankind in that way. He wants us to be like him, not only physically, but how we live our lives. God wants to restore us holistically. All throughout the year, we're talking about holistically being holy. He wants to restore our condition, our place, and our position. God wants to restore our holiness, our innocence. But will we allow him to do that? Will we allow God to restore us? He's not going to strong arm us or force us to do anything. Jesus has already paid all of it, all the price of our sin, of our iniquity on the cross. All we have to do is receive. The word tells us in Romans 10 and 9 that if anybody confesses with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised, that God died, that he's his God's, that Jesus died and he's God's son, that he raised from the dead, then you shall be saved. And when we are able to step into that faith, when we are able to walk in that confidence, walk in what God has already done for us, we don't have to be ashamed because nothing's too hard for God. We don't feel like there's no chance for us to experience holiness or innocence because there's nothing too hard for God. God already paid it all. There's no sin that we've done in the past or will do in the future that God did not pay for. And anytime that we feel condemnation, if we ever doubt that, are we saying that God sacrificed, that Jesus sacrificed on the cross wasn't enough for us? No, surely it was enough for each and every one of us. So my question for us today is, do you want God to restore you? And if so, the first step is to receive his son. And then the next steps is what Sean is going to talk about next week, how we steward our lives in a way that we are stewarding our holiness, stewarding our innocence. And so I'm going to give you some moment to respond. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And then we'll come back and we'll close out today.
Amen, family. Hopefully you have time to consider what your response needs to be. For those of you who are not in relationship with Jesus, my invitation to you is to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the first step. If you want to experience restoration, if there's something that you know is broken in your life, the first step is to acknowledge, receive the one who can restore any aspect of your life. For those of us who are believers in Christ, those who are following Jesus, my question for you is, you've already accepted in your relationship with the one who can restore you. But have you turned over things to give him for him to restore those aspects of your life, to make you holy, holy, to restore your innocence in certain areas where it's been stolen or you've been giving it away? Will you give God the authority? Will you give him whatever it is that you feel is broken, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally? Will you lay it at his feet? The only one who can truly restore If you want to respond to the first invitation, I want to pray with you and celebrate you that you're welcoming God into your life, that you're welcoming Jesus to be the restorer of your life. If that's you and you want to respond to that first invitation, we just ask that you put a one in the chat. But the second invitation, if you want to put a two in the chat, if you want to respond to asking God to restore certain areas of your life. Asking God to restore certain things about you that feel unredeemable, that feel too far gone. I ask that you would put a two in the chat. And I just want to pray that God would give you the courage, the faith, the strength, the trust to lay it at his feet and allow him to restore you and make you holy, holy. Our individual pursuits are not enough to make us holy. That's why the scripture tells us that salvation is a free gift given to each of us that no man can boast. It can't be earned. I can't go and live a robust lifestyle that will make me holy. Only Jesus can make us holy. So if you want to respond and receive Jesus for the first time, put a one in the chat. And if you want to pray and receive prayer today, that God would make you uh, or give you the strength to relinquish the things that are broken in your life, that he can restore them. I ask that you put a two in the chat. I'll give us a moment to respond, and then we're going to pray together for one another. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for those who have come to hear your word today. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace on our lives. Thank you, God, that in the times where we've been like Peter, where we've denied you by either our words or our actions, God, that you did not discard us, but God, you give us a chance, a chance at repentance, a chance at restoration. Thank you, God, that you love us in our current state, God, but you want to make us holy, holy. God, I pray for those who are contemplating decisions right now, God, whether they should respond to the first invitation or to the second, God. 
I pray specifically for Kaya and myself who respond in the chat. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, give us the faith, give us the trust to relinquish the strong grip that we have on certain things in our lives, certain things that are broken, God, even for our sister Elaine as well, God. We pray that you would give us the strength to trust you, that you can restore the things that have been broken, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's a relationship, God, whether it's spiritually, God, we thank you, God, that you are able, that you are willing to restore us, God. Lord, help us to turn it over to you, to trust you, even when we don't want to let go, even when we think our way, our method, even when we don't see the error in our ways, Lord, help us to know that your way is better, Father. God, I pray that this word goes forth and that if we get nothing from this, God, that you love us and that you want to restore the things that are broken in our lives, God. Lord, I thank you for all these blessings. I thank you for your great love, for your mercy, for your restoring power. May this word fall on good ground. May it take root and transform our lives for the better. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Kaya, over to you. Thank you, everybody.